0: Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are finishing up today our series from this fall uh, that I've called Family Matters. And my hope has been simple just this to point us to some truths in Scripture from God that He promises will bless your family. Truths that you would be wise regardless of whether you're the parent or the husband or whether you're the teen or the child in the home to implement in your life in wherever you can. But I want to start this off this morning um, with something that you probably don't want to include in your family, uh, especially this Halloween season. I'll explain later. Let's watch. For you should know what you're for. Advisable? No. Especially if you're a husband and you're thinking to do that with your wife. Amen, women? Yeah, that would be smart. <laughs> Quick review of where we've been so far in this series of lessons. We step back to the beginning of time in the first lesson to see what God's original plan was for the family because the home was his original idea. It was meant to be a sacred space even from the very beginning where God does some of his best and lasting work to shape a human being. Now, we also saw in our first lesson that the foundation of that home for most of us is going to be a marriage. One man with one woman for one lifetime. And from that one flesh union, God shows us that he intends to bring children into this sacred space some fellow image bearers who are loved and guided by their parents, but as we saw in lesson two, but are also prayed for by their parents. Like the walls of a house, a praying parent brings strength and stability and comfort to a home. You've seen that, haven't you? And God thinks so much of the family. He says, listen, I will be right there every step of the way if I'm invited. And prayer is the way that we invite them into our lives. Last week, we looked at following his lead on how to handle money his way. How to handle dating, careers, health, taking care of our aging parents, anything else that matters in a family. Jesus says, look to me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And since the home was his plan, following his pattern for life there just seems to make sense. And so we're going to close out this series this morning in a very specific way. Just as a roof is a covering for a house and to keep it effectively away from very tough things, so enduring love is essential in covering a home in just the same way. A roof protects a house from storms and heat and even hail, and so does love, a love that goes a distance, a love that's tenacious, a love that endures all things, protects a home from life's storms and heat and even hail. Pray, Father. Oh my, um, my heart's racing, and so I must ask you to quiet me, Holy Spirit, and enable me to be able to be a vessel that you can speak through today. Just thank you for this church family. I love them, and I just thank you for the way that they love on our family. Um, But Father, we realize we're not the only family that you have here. Uh, First Baptist Church this morning we know is gathering also just like us, lifting up songs of praise, breaking bread, Uh, also. Uh, preaching your word and so we ask that you your spirit be there in a very special way as well but together would you please knit our hearts together so that all of us who wear the name of jesus christ are building homes that not just say that they're christian uh, but look and smell and taste and love like they're christian for we ask us in jesus name and everybody said <laughs> my parents were not big on restaurants growing up you've got five kids, it cost a small fortune to take a family out. And so the sportsman's didn't eat out that often. Probably 99% of our meals uh, took place in our home. And there were no menus in the sportsman diner. The what's on your plate special was served every single day. And all of it was expected to be eaten. But truth be told, most of the time, mom's a pretty good cook. And so we were thrilled at what she brought to us on our plates. Except for two items. The first... Boiled okra, or as one of my friends refers to it as crocra. The other was navy beans, or as my little brother Robbie called them, nasty beans. (laughs) Now, regardless of how you describe the food in the sportsman household, one thing was expected. It was to disappear completely, which is why we loved it when grandparents came. Man, we loved to spend time with them, but we loved it when they took us out to eat. And every time they came, they took us to God's idea for heavenly cuisine. <laughs> oh, on the eighth day, God invented lubies. Man, I am telling you, when we'd pick up that tray and that silver with a cloth napkin around it, and we would start down that silver aisle of expectations and hope and anticipation, it was liberating. <laughs> it was intoxicating, I'm telling you. It was so fun to say yes to the roast beef and gravy. Yes to the mashed potatoes swimming in a sea of butter. Yes to the strawberry cake. No to crocra. No to nasty beans. I'm telling you, as a kid, I thought this is how they eat in heaven. Has to be. So I got to thinking this week, wouldn't it be great if we could cafeteria our relationships like you do Luke? What if you could order up all your favorite habits and attitudes for the people that you live with every single day and pass on the things that you don't like about them? Parents, what if you could do this with your kids? Um, I'll take a plate of rooms kept clean and a heaping bowl of thank yous and an extra helping of good grades, but no to the rolling of the eyes. No to the moods of puberty. And no thank you to the college tuition bills. Now, hold on, kids, what if we flipped it and we could choose the same thing for our parents? Please give me a huge portion of allowance. Yes to the free lodging. Yes to the free taxi service. No to the curfew. No to the rules. And no to the lectures about what's appropriate clothing. But what if you could do that with your husband and wife? Yes to the double helpings of compliments. Yes to mutually enjoyable recreation. And yes to honesty. No to balancing the bank account. No to in-laws. And no to headaches. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if love was like a cafeteria line? But it's not. It'd be easier. It'd be less frustrating. It'd be less painful. But you know what? It wouldn't be love. Because love just doesn't accept a few things. Love is willing to accept all things. Don't take my word for it. Take God's. You've heard Paul kind of spill this out for us, what love looks like. He says love's patient. Love's kind. Love is not envious. It's not boastful or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist in its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the right. In the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures what? All things. Little brother or sister, if I'm ever asked to participate in being the one who officiates at your wedding service, and I hope I can someday. I can promise you those words will be a part of the ring ceremony if you ask me to do the ceremony. Because every time that I ask one of those um, couples to slide that ring on the left-hand ring finger, I always have them slide it halfway up and say, now will you repeat after me? And we read just what we read there. And yet we say, I offer you a love that's patient. I offer you a love that's kind. A love that's not going to be envious. I offer you a love that will never be boastful or arrogant. I offer you a love that doesn't insist in its own way, and it's not irritable or resentful. I offer you a love that doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. I'm offering you today a love that bears all things, and believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Because that's the only kind of love God's interested in when you stand to commit yourself to another person for life. And the reason He could expect that is because that's what He offers. Because God's promised with our cooperation, if we will be a funnel for His love, He not only will pour that love into my heart, but He'll also pour it through me to you. So, friend, when we say we love somebody, it means committing to embrace the entire package of that person. We don't get to select only the good and passing on the bad. No, love's a package deal. That's what at least God's trying to encourage us towards because that's how He's loved us. The Apostle Paul faced the same situation in his relationship with the church known as the Corinthian church. In fact, Paul is having to deal with some rather unpleasant attitudes there and behaviors from the church here. And it's the only reason, listen to me, that we even have a letter called the Corinthians. Because some people were being problems in loving with one another. The church he had helped birth seemingly had gone wacko. Wacko. Let me share a few reasons why I say that. When it came to unity, the members of this church were at each other's throats constantly. In one place, he he gives the illustration of the church being members of a body. Well, they all wanted to run their own way, as disjointed as they possibly could be. Barely does he have his pen on the parchment when he starts to write this. I appeal to you, brothers. I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in one purpose. You see, for some members, Chloe's household had told me about your quarrels. My dear brothers and sisters, that just shouldn't be. Now, interesting. Paul chooses a word here to describe what was going on. He uses the word quarrels. It's actually the word that's also used for battle. For battles. Well, the Corinthian church was quarreling. They had multiple battles going on all over the place in their little fellowship. What about? They couldn't agree on a leader. One says, I follow Paul. He founded us. Another says, no, I follow Apollos. Have you ever heard him preach? Man, he's dynamic. One said, I follow Peter. He's one of the original apostles. Another said, well, I only follow Christ. Which, you know, is pretty naive. But unity wasn't the only area the church was struggling in. It was also in morals. They were out of control. Here's what Paul writes. I can hardly believe it. The report about sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. Wow, you've got my attention now. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. What? You're so proud of yourselves? Really? You should be in mourning and in sorrow and in shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Wow, those are strong words. Paul can't determine what's worse, the activity of the man or the apathy of the church. He couldn't believe the church was tolerating a man having an affair with his father's wife. Come on. Now most likely, this was his stepmother. No mention of incest reference here, but even in this hedonistic culture known as Corinth, they frowned on such behavior. Their law prevented a son from marrying his father's wife even if the father died. Smack dab in the middle of the church was this inter-family affair. Nobody was saying a word about it. Paul saying a word about it. Morally, they were acting like pagans. Theologically, they were acting like babies. How so? Because of their judgmental attitudes. Their I-know-better-than-you attitudes. The controversy was this. We talked about it a couple of weeks back. Can we eat meat that was offered to idols? Now, that may seem strange to us, but it was a huge issue for the early church. You see, the pagan worshipers, like the Jewish worshipers, brought sacrifices to their God. Only a portion of the sacrifice to either one of them was actually cremated and offered to God. The rest was divided among the priests and the public to eat. Now, the hot topic of the day was simply this. Could Christians eat such meat? Now, the pro-meat eaters said, well, sure you can. I mean, after all, we know that an idol is not really a god and that there's only one god and no other. That's what the pro-meat pro meat eaters thought of. The anti-meat eaters said, i got a problem with that. Paul puts their dilemma in these words. He says, some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. And so when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods. And their weak consciences are violated. And these members truly felt like they were eating idol-offered meat. And by doing so, they were endorsing idol worship. And they knew God forbid that. Now, the anti-meat eaters had a hard time making a break, okay, from that. And the pro-meat eaters had a hard time being patient with them until they could. They felt free in Christ and couldn't understand why others didn't feel the same. Well, you know what? Paul agrees with their conviction. He writes this, we don't miss out on anything if we don't eat this meat. And we don't gain anything if we do. Paul had no trouble with the beliefs of the pro-meat eaters, but he had a lot of trouble with their arrogance. And it's hard to miss the sarcasm of this next verse. You think that everyone should agree with your perfect knowledge? While knowledge may make us feel important, it's love that really builds us up. Anybody who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know Read those words again this week, and I had to think. Ouch. We've been there recently, and we still are. <laughs> Regarding masks, whether to wear them or not, wear them. Wear them who we're concerned about? Our freedoms. Someone else's worries. Every single one of us, to some degree, have been those people who've had the right information and the right side of that debate, but the wrong approach. And Paul's asking all of us, please do what love requires. Because judgmentalism and arrogance is hard on the church regardless of what issue it's trying to work through. Okay. Let's add this up. The Corinthian confusion had to deal with regarding unity, that they were out of step in, Uh, regarding morality, that they were out of control in. Theologically, they're out of line in. But there's more. In the area of worship, the church is out of order. Just as their newfound freedom gave them got them in trouble with morals and meat it also caused them problems in the assembly like what we're doing today what was the issue there veils veils were the problem wow that's kind of out of touch with where we are today right I guess maybe you could think of a mask of a veil right veils were the problem some women were coming to church without one and in corinth a veil was a sign of modesty and a sign of virtue and so to appear unveiled in public was nothing short of immoral. Now, the enlightened believers wanted to chuck the veils and face the new future. Others said, not so fast. And Paul was one of them. Paul says, if, they, if they're not going to wear a veil, why don't they just shave their head as well? As long as they're going, let's go big. Why hold back? I think that probably made for a few tense elders meetings. What do you think, Art? Yeah. Then there was a matter of the Lord's Supper. We're about to do that in a minute. Can you imagine someone doing that in a wrong way? Paul talks about one. See, in Corinth, the meal was more than just some crackers and some juice. It was an extended time of food and fellowship and worship. But some of the members were missing the entire point of it. They liked the food. (laughs) And so they disregarded the fellowship and the worship. They just got there early and ate heartily, leaving nothing for the others but an empty table. Well, that was a mess. Women were missing the point with the veil. Others were missing the point with communion. But there seems to be a problem on every single pew for somebody. And so how in the world do you help a congregation like that? Good question. You can correct them. Paul does some of that. You can instruct them. Paul does some of that. But at some point you stop talking to the head and you start talking to the heart. And that's what Paul does. When he says this, love bears all things love believes all things love hopes all things and love endures all things together i know your parents can relate to paul's problem you've been there all of a sudden you're this blood-curdling scream and you just know that one of your kids has just severed a limb right you go into the room and there's the, your 8-year-old screaming at the, his sister who's 4 years old and they're both just up in each other's face and it's just you just got to go in there and stop it. What's wrong? 4 years old. Let's, let's make her 6, okay? At least she can talk. What's wrong? He threw my baby. Don't potty out the window. Well, she stepped on my Xbox. And you know how it goes. He just said she did. and My fault. He started it. No, she started it. We've all been there. And then as a very wise parent, we realize this is more than about baby don't potties and Xboxes. This is about family. And so you stop and you try to get on your knee and have a conversation with them about, you know, family's too precious to stay mad Life's too short not to to give each other a a helping hand. We we, we get bigger than the games. We get bigger than what's, what's going on in the moment. And they're paying attention and they're nodding. And you're starting to feel kind of warm and fuzzy inside. They're getting this. And you get up and start to walk out of the room and you realize that the next second it could start all over again, right? But you, you did what Paul does here. You're being a great parent. You're planting the seed that these fusses that we have and these disagreements we have aren't about the disagreements. It's about something bigger. It's about allowing God to knit us together through them not, not in spite of them, but through them, into something the world can only stare at and imagine wow, how do they love like that? At least that's Paul's aim. Because what he tries to do here is he puts a T in time out and says, Can we talk a little bit? And he tries to lift the gaze of the people off of their issues and onto something that lasts even past their issues, onto a cross. He's going to talk a lot about cross in 1 Corinthians and having them lift their gaze towards that and say, love like that, okay? Love like that. For the first 12 chapters, he's trying to untie these disagreements and, and petty things that they're squabbling over. Three chapters later, he's going to try to give some, some real encouragement. Here's how you handle those issues. But in chapter 13, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I remind you of what this is all about? A-G-A-P-E. Now the Greeks had several different words for love, but we know this is a very specific word. Paul could have chosen the word eros. That's another word for love. But here he's talking about something beyond sexual love. He, He could have used the term phileo, but he's speaking of love that's far deeper than friendship. He could have used the term storge, a very, very tender term about the love of family. But he didn't choose any of those. Paul uses a very specific word that is bigger than just some domestic peace. Agape, unconditional, sacrificial love. That's what he's going to point the church to. That's the only thing that's going to fix this. Oh yeah, and like, mm hmm. And that's the only thing that'll fix it here. In this church family as a whole. And our private families at home. And so i want to point you back to what Paul points their church to. A love that's beyond sentiment and good wishes. A love that moves right past that to sacrifice and even a good death. Because God was gracious first, Paul's going to say. You can love graciously. Because God was forgiving of our worst offenses. Can I say that again? Because God was forgiving of our worst offenses. He says, you can forgive others theirs. Agape offers patience when stress is abundant. Agape extends kindness when kindness is rare. Why? Because God offered that to me. Paul's going to say. That's the type of love that Paul prescribes for a church pandemic of ungrace at Corinth. I wish I could preach a sermon to our country, but I can't. I can only preach it to you and offer a vaccine for that pandemic that comes directly from God. Not put together in any scientist lab straight from the heart of God. A-G-A-P-E. Unconditional, sacrificial love. And we need that because groups still fight, don't they? We still flirt with people we shouldn't. Sometimes we are quiet when we should speak. And don't those who have found freedom still have the hardest times with those who haven't found it yet in Christ? But someday, yay God, someday there's going to be a community where everybody behaves and nobody complains, but it's not going to be this side of heaven, promise you. And so till then, what do we do? We reason. Yeah, that's good. And we confront. That's needed. We teach. That's always good. But most of all, Paul says, we A-G-A-P-E. We love. We give people what they need, not what they deserve. Now, is it easy? No way. Not for you, not for me. And hear me clearly, not even for Jesus. Serious. A couple of weeks back, we talked about this one phrase. I want to underscore it again. It's found in Mark 9, 19. He just kind of got enough (laughs) from what's going on in the moment. And he says, you people of little faith, how long must I stay with you? How long must I put up with you? Wow. I love that. Even the Son of God gets a little impatient with Procra. Even the Son of God says, do I really have to have some more nasty beans? Is that what we're all about here? But listen to how he answers his own question. I think it has the potential to help us in our own questions of how long really do I need to put up with this? Here's what he would say with his life. Long enough to be called crazy by your brothers and sisters. Long enough to be called a liar by your family and your neighbors? Long enough to be run out of town and your temple? Long enough to be laughed at and cursed and slapped and blindfolded and mocked. Long enough to feel the humiliation of a man spitting in your face. And the whelps from a whip that's opening up your back. Long enough to see your own blood pooling at your feet. That's how long. How long do you put up with? How long do you endure? How long do you bear? How long do you... Long enough for every sin that's ever existed to soak your sinless soul to the point that your Father in Heaven turns His back on you in horror? That's how long? Until your swollen lips pronounce the final transaction, it is finished? How long? Jesus' life says loudly, until it kills you. No one can be My disciple unless He also takes up His cross also. No one. No one gets a pass on bearing all things and enduring all things. Because the love that I'm pouring into you, it never fails, and so I'm asking you to let it pour out. Because that creates a family that matters. And that kind of love, it is scary. But it's scary good, and you want to get you some. Now, a couple of girls said, "I want in," and I hope I say the names right. LaCricia, Alby, is she here? Would you stand up, LaCricia? She just said yes to Jesus Christ this week and was baptized. Come on, girl. Where's she at? There she is. Yay, God, we're glad you're part of the family, girl. Now, Shalisa, Arnold, where's Shalisa? There she is. Come on, girl. That's it. Both these girls said, I'm going to get me some of that. Now, here's the challenge, ladies. Will you give it? Will you give it? As a family... We're going to do our best to help you learn how. And that puts us, it puts us on, on notice, doesn't it? Because they're going to be watching us, how this Jesus translates into lives here in this world, and that love tr- makes its way into the world that's watching. It's because family matters. And Jesus said, I am not going to spend eternity without you. As much as it depends upon me. And that's why he came and got on one for you. And he's going to ask me to do that for my girls, Tabitha and Lauren and my son-in-law, so Travis and Tyler, for Art. For Marilyn. For Coley Douglas. When he's being bad. Because that's what love does. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. Amen. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for not just pointing us to this in some kind of a sermon. Thank you for pointing it to us, pointing us to it in a, in a life. And Father, I just pray that if you've brought someone here today who wants in on that, who wants in on that kind of love, we will never back away, never leave us, always be there to walk with us through anything, would you, Father, help them come find me or one of our elders today, and we too will see that they experience the only funeral that's ever going to matter in their lives. To see them buried into Christ, into His blood, raised into His resurrection. And Father, a lot of us here have been, we've, we've said yes to that. But we've got to come, we're coming confessing that we haven't said yes to loving like you loved us. Maybe it's been a bad week, maybe it's been a bad month, maybe it's been a bad year, but God, we're saying we're sorry and asking you to forgive us. Cleanse us again like you promised you would. And fill us with your spirit to help us love like you promised you would. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and let's praise him, church.